The goal of this podcast is to help aspiring advertisers break in and thrive in the advertising or marketing communications industry. And we do this by sharing the stories and advice from the people that made it on the other side. It is uncommon, however, for professionals to specialize and take the extra steps to provide mentorship to those looking to get started. Our guest today does this for a living. His titles may say international editor and the host of the number one advertising podcast in the world. Yeah, that's probably an ad. But accolades and labels aside, David Greiner is in the business of helping, encouraging, and serving as a leading voice for an industry that can be eerily quiet in terms of allyship and mentorship. It's rewarding to speak with someone that directly influenced this podcast's creation. But it's even more rewarding to know that the man you've listened to and seen on Twitter and read on Adweek is even nicer in person. So, as you can tell, this episode is a must-listen to those looking to break into the industry. It's also a must-listen for anyone interested in advertising, marketing, or media. And you can connect with Griner if you head over to our Instagram now, at Breaking and Entering Pod. One more time, that's at breaking and entering pod all one word you can see how you can connect with him and you can see his recommended resources just for you also this episode is supported by chicago portfolio school they're a one-year portfolio school option chicago portfolio school can help you produce a book that rivals those of two-year programs that will likely catch the attention of some of the top agency recruiters You can visit them and learn more at chicagoportfolio.com or by reaching out to me. Now, this is going to be a really fun episode. I'm so excited for you you to listen. This is the Breaking and Entering Advertising Podcast. And as usual, I am your accomplice, Gino Schellenberger. Kick it, Mikey. David Greiner. It's so awesome to say. Welcome to the Breaking and Entering Advertising Podcast. Thanks for coming on. How are you doing today? Oh, I'm doing good. Thanks so much for having me. I'm looking forward to it. Pumped to have you. So I listened to your podcast. Um, well, I, yeah, that's probably an ad. I've listened to that for years now. That was one of the first podcasts I listened to when I wanted inspiration to start this one. So it's come full circle. And just to see you and talk with you is just amazing. So oh, what, a, what an honor. I really appreciate that. And I also listened to your recent podcast on, I don't, maybe, I don't know if it's recent anymore, but the Bad Podcast, shout out to Amelia Carney. Mm-hmm. She was a student here at Chicago Portfolio School, so I've known her and I listened to that podcast and just great stuff. Yeah, yeah, that's a great one. I think it kind of goes along with the theme that, you know, helping out Amelia and going on her podcast is just like a theme in your life, in your career, is mentorship and giving back and elevating others. And I've noticed that on Twitter, it's kind of like your thing. Is that true? Like, what, what is, do you, do you strive for that or is it just who you are as a human? I mean, I, I, yeah, I don't think it's like a calculated personal brand, Oh <laughs> <you> no, <know>? <laughs> but it's, it, it's something I take a lot of joy in. And that I think, um, when I think back to how I got my start, uh, both in advertising and then, and then, uh, in journalism, there were several people who at the time I would, I literally would ask them, why are you helping me? I'm just a complete rando like what why are you spending so much time uh with me and their answer always kind of boiled down to because someone did it for me you know and and so that that idea whether you call it paying it forward or just you know remembering 
that that someone else did you a solid and and you should do it for others uh but you know i i named my son after my mentor uh you know he was a gigantic uh, role in my life uh, even though i only knew, worked with him for a few years before he passed away but those were formative years you know and i feel like if i can do anything to help folks get started uh, all the better was this your mentor that was overly optimistic or um optimistic about social media in the future yeah yeah he he was a futurist uh, and it, I was in college in the 90s and he would uh, at Missouri at the journalism school and he was a grad student a grad student there who had been out in the workforce for for quite a while he he was not not young and he kept saying like I, I can see the future is going to be you know we'll be talking to readers in real time and and we'll be able to like the, he he just didn't know the phrase social media <laughs> Like it didn't exist for decades, uh, you know, after that, but, uh, or, you know, for, uh, more than a decade and he saw it coming, uh, and he, he yep. got me all pumped about it. And sure enough, uh, that ended up being a, a big part of my, my life and my career. Yeah. Um, and we're going to talk about that. And you mentioned like people helping you out and giving back. And that's kind of like the key to breaking and entering advertising or journalism. So that mentorship, and you know, finding somebody that can sponsor you and and elevate you in your career. So that's so cool that that's been a theme, and we'll, I'm sure we'll talk about that later on this episode when we get to the advice portion and how to actually break in. But I want to get started with you and your current role today. As many people might know, and especially if they're on Twitter, you are the international editor at Adweek, and that's a fairly recent role change. When was that role change for you? That was about a year ago. Um, okay. I've I've been with Adweek in various forms for about uh, fifteen years, uh, and eight years of that full time. Uh, I freelanced uh, for about seven eight years before that, and uh, so I've I've had several jobs here. Um, but I was, you know, in various ways, mostly covering creative uh, for years. I was our creative editor uh, for quite a while leading up to this. But they asked me kind of where I saw my role at Adweek headed you know going and i said that i thought we had tremendous potential uh for overseas growth for international growth and uh we we have great ownership and great leadership and they just said uh go for it and so they've uh, we've established a europe bureau since then which is uh incredibly robust and they're they're incredible uh, the folks that work out there and we've got a lot of exciting things coming this year which uh i i, I can't quite uh, announce yet but uh, you know stay tuned Nice. Well, I remember you saying that now the whole world is your, you have to cover the whole world. <laughs> that's, that's intimidating. And how has that been? You know, are you taking it one step at a time? Are you proud of the progress you've made in the year so far? Yeah. I mean, just in this past year, I recently looked up out of curiosity, the, the Europe Bureau has not existed for a full year yet. I think it's only 10 months. Uh, and they wrote 900 articles last year. Uh, so when I talk about kind of the intimidating scope of covering the, the world, uh, to realize that that was 900 articles just out of one bureau. Uh, and, wow. and, and obviously our goal is to cover uh, all the regions of the world. And I think the the onus on me, the, the real responsibility is to, to go beyond Europe, which I think is a well-covered uh, region, uh, and to start moving into other regions that haven't had the kind of North American media focus uh, that they deserve. Uh, you know, whether it's Latin America or uh, South Asia, um, India, that that region is so tremendously exciting. And I, I don't think it's nearly enough attention. So uh, that, that's probably a bit of a spoiler on what I've got uh, <laughs> coming up Good soon. Uh, but I, I do think there's a lot of responsibility in 
choosing what we cover and and not reinforcing kind of the siloed thinking geographically. I think Nigeria is one of the most exciting creative markets on the planet, and um, they don't get anywhere near enough uh, visibility. As, now, I want to take that from the student's perspective or somebody that's aspiring to break into advertising. When you have a wealth of knowledge that's not only from the United States, but it's global, then you get that you build that repertoire, you build that you build that knowledge background globally that's so important and that can elevate you and as a future creative. Yeah, and I and I think there's a lot more opportunity internationally than people realize. I, I think there's certain certain countries where folks know, okay, I'm gonna start out here and then I'll probably move to America or I'll probably move to Great Britain. Uh, but it's it's starting to go the other way, which is great. We're starting to see uh, more people want to move to to different markets and take up jobs. And, and I was talking to a global talent recruiter today uh, about how many opportunities there are. And they were basically saying America is the most competitive market. Oh, really? And the, there's other markets where you could you could really get a job a lot easier. Um, and so it's you know without getting into kind of the the visa specifics and all that, sure. I do think I do sure. think it's it's better to have a real sense of where are the most exciting. Uh, kind of creative and and uh, marketing hubs around the world, yeah. and embrace that while you're young, while you can travel yeah. without you know being feeling kind of locked down by responsibility. Yeah, I mean, I know like Adam and Eve DDB, right? That's London based, and they they're always winning awards. It seems like. Yeah, I mean, London London market uh, is is fantastic, and and it's becoming the place that a lot of other uh, countries poach their talent from. Yeah. Uh, but uh, yeah, there's there's so many uh, Amsterdam, mm. Belgium. Yeah, uh, and uh, the the Nordics uh, are really one of the most fascinating places, and again, don't always get as much coverage as as the region deserves. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I wish more you know you know people getting into advertising would really learn not just about some of the biggest agencies out there, but some of the most interesting markets. Um, because you may find that, hey, Sweden is the place for me based on the kind of creative I like doing or Spain, which is a, a huge creative hub. Wow. Um, you know, but each of those has kind of their specific type of creative that they're becoming really known for. And if that's what you aspire to do, you know, you might have a better run uh, going there than trying to carve out a job at a major agency in America. This is interesting. This is a whole new philosophy that I've never, we've never talked about in this show. So I want to actually elaborate more into this. So if I am a student or if I'm uh, somebody trying to break into advertising, how do I learn more about these markets? Because I actually don't have any, I know about the big agencies. I know about Portland. I know about Richmond. I know that's, uh, I know about New York. I know about all these cities in, in the United States, but I don't know anything about Spain. I, I mean the, those, those, those the, the lazy the lazy and self-serving answer on my part is to read Adweek's international coverage, uh, w which I am proud of. But that said, I mean that's a it's it's an obnoxious thing to say. I don't know, just read the news every day. That's harder than it than it should be. I mean we just we all have so much information yeah. <laughs> being you know inundated. Like Adweek runs dozens of articles every day. Even yeah. even I, as someone who works there. Uh, can't have he doesn't have time to read them all i'd say th i'd say the more effective thing is to keep an eye on anytime you see a list of agencies to watch um anytime you see uh we do an international agency of the year we do a global agency of the year global is more of a big network like what was a, the difference between those two so global global would be like this year it was tbwa yeah. oh uh, it's a global network that has offices around the world. And uh, it, truth be told, there's only a handful of those. Uh, so you'll notice if you look back at all of our honorees in that category, it's, you know, it, it kind of rotates among uh, their, your your BBDOs and DDBs, publicists, um, 
you know, all these kind of major uh, networks around the world. Uh, and TBWA certainly had a stellar year. And so that they, they won that uh, the, this past year. Uh, but even within those, there's always read those articles because there's we try to delve into the specific offices that are really being successful. TBWA, you could say, oh, they make Apple's ads out of Media Arts Lab in, in mm -hmm. Los Angeles. Yeah, they do. And those ads are great. Uh, but they also have TBWA Helsinki, which is like one of the most creative agency offices in the world. Whoa. Uh, they have TBWA Paris, which if you're into print, if you're into outdoor which a lot of people feel like those are not as appreciated in America as they used to be. Go, go to Paris, you know, go work wow. for uh, TBWA Paris or BETC or any like, uh, I, there's so many I could, I could name like five or six more. Sure. Um, but the point being that if you like to do outdoor, uh, try to go to France. Um, or, you know, there's uh, in Australia has certainly uh, a wide array of, of fantastic agencies uh, and a certain kind of creative stuff. Look at awards. I'd say that actually that's the easiest way, even though awards are their own thing um, and they have they have plenty of downsides. But I think the upside of the reason I get so pumped about major award shows is that you can really just dig down and say, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't really care about the Grand Prix. I want to see who all won golds and silvers, who all won bronze. You'll discover so many great agencies. Uh, and you'll right. also discover certain trends of like, wow, sure are a lot of agencies in, uh, you know, in the Netherlands or in Spain or, or in Dubai right now. Um, and, and you'll, you'll find those trends uh, the more you really watch for it. Uh, and, and, and if that's where your dreams take you, uh, you know, the more informed you can be, the better. Yeah. I, I have friends who's like their big dream is to move to Paris uh, or, you know, to move to London. Obviously, it's always mm. uh, kind of a, a safer, easier option. But, uh, you know, it's I, I would love if I were younger, I, I can see myself being like, I really want to go live in Stockholm. I really want to mm -hmm. go live in um, like Lagos right now, of, of just in terms of the creative. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I mean, I just think keep an eye on all those and you'll have pretty yeah. informed Lesson there, different markets demand different types of creative. That, and that is a simple concept to, to grasp. And I never really thought about that. Yeah, like a really good example is Thailand. Um, so B BBDO Bangkok for a long time was uh, very different from it. Like you think of BBDO, you think, oh, you know, at their best, you think like Snickers ads or, you know, just, yeah, like uh, Sandy Hook Promise cinematic stuff. But yeah. BBDO Bangkok is wild. Like they've at the, in their kind of golden age, uh, they were cranking out like inventions. They were inventing stuff. That was kind of their, and the, their, their creative chief told me for years, you can't make ads in Thailand. Like they'll just get lost in the noise. You have to create things that get people okay. excited. That makes uh, sense. And like they, they created a bike helmet that like reports you to, to their equivalent of 911, like when you crash, because uh, rural uh, motorcycle crashes were such a major problem out there. Just things like that. We're just reinventing yeah. the whole idea of what an agency is. So if you want to like go invent stuff, you know, go, go to Southeast Asia uh, yeah. and, and work for an agency out there. They'd love to have you. Like they love having per perceptions, you know, from all over the world. Yeah, that makes sense. It's so interesting. And you said, you said, if you can go back, you might have explored, you might explore Stockholm, right? Yeah. Uh -huh. I want to yeah. kick it back though, to like how you got started in all of this. Um, so obviously you didn't start in Stockholm. No, no. Fort Wayne, Indiana, you know, is, is America's Stockholm. There I'm pretty go. sure it is. Uh, is that where you started? 
Uh, yeah, I'm from Alabama and I live in Alabama right. now. Birmingham. Um, yeah, I love yep. Birmingham. Uh, I could do a whole podcast just about how much I love the city, but uh, not so much Alabama. Alabama has its problems, but Birmingham is a, a wonderful city. Uh, and, um, but I, I ended up working in Fort Wayne, Indiana uh, mm. after journalism school. And, uh, and I've since learned that this is very rare, but at the time it seemed normal to me. I, um, I, asked out the person who sat next to me at work uh and we ended up getting married so, no way <laughs> so i've since learned that that doesn't happen often but of course i was only like a few months out of college and i was just like hey there's this really smart like super attractive person i work with i'll very riskily ask them out and what'd you uh, ask her out to what was the first date because i'm in that phase of life now where i need a man up and ask a girl on a date so i actually uh, need some advice in this uh this area yeah, I think it was funny because we ended up accidentally on a date because our two other friends canceled that we were all supposed to be hanging out oh, together. You did that strategically, though. Yeah, it literally looked like it. And then, uh, awesome. and then at the end of the night, I like asked her how, and she was like, "You want to like go out?" Like after we literally just you know w went to dinner and then watched a movie or whatever. And I was like, "Yeah, but like on a date." And then so we were supposed to play soccer the next day anyway, and so we just met up to play soccer. And she was like, and she waited until she got there, and then she said. Um, okay yeah and so wow. that was it and then i don't know that's about we were we were very poor and so i like i think back to the, it's it's good in the sense that we we had no money to do much of anything so we just spent a lot of time hanging out and yeah. uh, like exploring uh you know the region driving around northeast indiana and just finding little towns and uh you know just doing random stuff and and i i miss those days because like now we have kids and you know, mm. she's a CEO and th there's a lot going on, but you kind of look back to those times when your whole weekend plan was just, let's just hang out. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's really good. I, I, if I tell now the first date I go on with a girl, I'll probably be like, Oh, I don't have a lot of money, but we can, we can get to know each other. We go on an adventure. It's better than super, yeah, exactly. super fancy. Exactly. Like all my investment banker friends. Well, in these days, it's like the only thing that's safe, right? It's like, let's go away from humanity yes. and uh, like yeah. just go for a walk somewhere. Okay. That was fun. But so work, you, you started, where was that company? What was that company or what was this industry? Uh, the Four Wayne Journal Gazette newspaper, family owned yeah. newspaper. How did you stumble into your first role at, was it Lucky and Company? Yeah, that was my agency. Uh, I, I lost my job out in California. Uh, I was working in a newspaper out there mm -hmm. and we were doing some really cool stuff that would eventually be called social media. Um, yes. Blogging had just been invented. Like the, we yeah. had to run an article explaining what blogging was. Oh, really? And, um, but I was really excited about it. And this idea of just going beyond, we have comments, mm -hmm. you know, just actually opening things up to readers. Uh, but uh you know, for whatever reason, I don't think that's where the leadership wanted to go. And so they kind of ended up giving me and my boss the boot, uh, which at the time was brutal. Uh, and if anyone, if you're ever facing job loss, uh, reach out to me. Uh, I'm just Griner at Gmail or Griner on most social platforms, but I've been through it and it sucks. Uh, and yeah. I had to like kind of cancel my entire career plan and, 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 you know, in a way like, uh, sulk my way back home to Alabama uh, infamously, I, to finance my move back home, uh, I sold my stock in a company called Netflix ah. in 2005. Wow. Um, and I, I try not to think about that. Uh, I, yeah. Wow. I, I had made pretty good money off it, but we were like, eh, DVD mail order business. How big could it possibly get? Oh. And, uh, 
I've what, since had people, people at Twitter have like offered to calculate it for me. And, and, and you're like, I please don't. A few years ago, someone said it would have been worth 40 something thousand. And I'm like, that's fine. As long as you don't yeah. tell me like 7 million. Yeah. Like, like those yeah. stories you hear about someone selling their Apple stock on sure. like, you know, in 1988 or whatever. Yeah. And I'm just like, uh, yeah, okay, that's fine. I've probably done better than that. Like in the sense it was a great investment because I moved mm -hmm. back home, found a job at an agency here, a lighting yeah. company. And that, that was one just really, I, I mean, I don't know about lucking into a job, uh, but like I was not, I was not qualified. Uh, and it did take a lot of persuading. Now here's something to kind of not switch gears per se, but I do think this, this comes up a lot when I'm talking to people who are looking for either their first job or their first, uh, their next job mm -hmm. is often you have a two, two kinds of options. You have the very, very safe, uh, like secure agency. Like let's say you got an offer at Wyden and Kennedy, or you got an offer at Goodby or some agency that's a well-oiled machine. They know what they're doing. They don't have a lot of drama and it's really compelling to go there. Now, the reality is you may end up being at the bottom of the, you know, the, uh, of like, you're not going to get the Nike briefs no. uh, when you show up at Wyden. You're doing coupons or banners. And I, I shouldn't say Wyden specifically, because I think that's probably always a safe job to take or a smart job to take. But you know what I mean? It's like, there's, here's the agency that's real good, real solid. Everyone respects them. But when you start really looking into the job, you're going to be working on some very small clients. You're going to be doing some, some real grunt work that, yeah. that nobody else wants to do. And your opportunity for promotion is limited because no one leaves. It's such a good agency. No one leaves or yeah. brand or whatever it is. Like sure. if, if they take a lot of pride in the fact that nobody leaves, but that means that your, your ability to get promoted is limited. Yeah. Now your other option is a place that's absolute chaos. <laughs> like they've, they've had a bunch of high profile exits. They've uh, tossed their creative chief. Yeah. Um, they've lost their biggest client and they've taken on a really risky one, whatever it is. I love that. I like that option. And oh, man, I'll tell you, I'll, scary. Yeah, it is scary, but like now's actually the best time to take that on, uh, in the sense that there, the talent market is so, so hot right now in terms of in the, in the like job applicants favor, which by the way, if you're listening to that and you don't know that, yes, um, you true. should know that. Because it's so hot right now, you have all the power. I've it's, it's so like, true. It, it, and back in May 2020, when I graduated you, you, at University of Illinois, it was not like that. It was the opposite. And now it's just on this. It, it happened rise. so fast. And there, and what's happening is people are are so focused on wheeling and dealing these hires, they're not focusing on retention, so they're losing these people a few yeah. months later anyway. Yeah. And I, I have a lot of young people reaching. I mean, younger than me, mm -hmm. reaching out and saying, um you know, I've got this offer and I'm only five months into my job. And I'm like, are you happy? <laughs> Is it fulfilling? And they're like, no. <laughs> and I'm like, then take it. Like go do something else. It, it's, no recruiter now is going to look and say, well, you've only been there six months. Why are you jumping ship right now? That's they're doing it because the money's there and because yeah. the, the opportunities for growth is, are there. Is that okay though? Because we've always been told in, in school and growing up, stay at your job for at least one year or at least two years, or at least three years. I know advertising is different, but now it's even, it's just so rapid right now where people I, are leaving four or five months. I did it myself. I had to. I mean, I, I think get the money get the title like maybe that sounds okay you're gonna have and maybe you've even had guests who say this i, I don't want to sound like i'm mocking it but there is something to be said for longevity there is something to be said for paying your dues 
-hmm. Now, here's my beef with that philosophy is that it almost always comes from white men. Uh, I am a white man, but that said, it's a, it comes from a position of privilege to be able to say, take your time, be patient. Um, don't worry about titles. The titles will come focus on the work. All of that's fine, mm -hmm. but different people are in this industry in a different, on a different footing. And I, I've just noticed that it's rare that women in creative leadership tell me that their advice for, for someone, for, for younger people in the industry is to be patient because uh, yeah. you, they did not get where they are by being patient. They got where they are by being demanding of their value and their worth. Um, and so it's, it's just kind of funny to me because I interview a lot of people, a lot of creative leaders, and that's been a recurring theme that if I talk to women, if I talk to people of color and leadership and creative leadership, they almost are always like, carve out your next role, find your opportunities and define them on your own. Don't wait for them to be brought to you, which is my advice as well. Yeah. Um, versus, you know, the, again, like not to paint with a broad brush, but if the advice you get is like, be patient, take your time. Well, you probably, that person probably was in the industry in a completely different time. Yes. Yes. And even if it was only three years ago, that was a completely different time. Uh, so it's like, if you have the, I will tell you the, the game right now, if, I, if I'm being honest, um, at, or in the first 10 years of your career, the game is get your base salary as high as physically possible. Whoa, I like this. I mean, I you, haven't heard this before. You have to. Like, people will tell you otherwise, but the reality is that you you can you can linger at a low salary for a very long time under the under the auspices of of loyalty and the rest of your entire life you will pay the price for that your salary whatever salary you agree to uh, this is another thing by the way open open offer and i would encourage everyone in leadership who who's the least bit veteran to also offer this advice if someone needs help on uh on negotiating I'm here for you, uh, or ask anybody, but negotiate, never, ever, ever accept, uh, the first offer you get, um, wow. like always and negotiate everything. Even if the money ends up not being negotiable, everything's Benefits. title, uh, vacation time, yeah. uh, it, everything, which clients you work on, man, you can, every, anything, anything. Um, and if you're not negotiating right now, you're, you're leaving a lot on the table, but the sooner your base salary goes up, the more your net worth your, your income over your career will go up that's interesting stratospherically so you're saying it compounds and you need to get it up in your first 10 years as much as you can because that will influence later on and i mean the sooner if you've got student loans you got to pay them off fast oh, yeah. um Big i mean time. like it it really breaks my heart when i see and of course this is very common that you see folks who are really just hitting their stride in their career let's say like five seven years in and mm. they've got a hundred plus thousand in student loan debt. Oh man, that'd be, yeah, that's not, that's and not it's, good. It's so common. And I'm just like, I, I'm very lucky that <laughs> I, I, I wouldn't say I like prioritized education. Um, I went to Missouri, which is a good school, but not a famously right. expensive school. Um, and you know, when people ask me about advanced education, like, should I go even portfolio schools? Like, I think it's an, it's an important conversation to really think about the, mm -hmm. the, you know, the, what it means for you personally, what the investment's going to be. I'm not down on them. Oh yeah. Um, I know you're I actually know your, your thoughts on this. Yeah. And, and so it's, it's one where like, 
I, I certainly would never just tell someone don't go to, you know, whether it's to any advanced education don't go for certifications, all those can be valuable. Mm. You just got to spend the time really thinking about it. Yeah. Um, and, and there is no one answer. You can't just say like, everyone should go get an advertising degree. Everyone should get a master's. <laughs> like you should get an MBA. Mm. <laughs> Not if you're going to be paying off a hundred thousand in, in student loan debt. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so yeah, I just think make as much money as you can. Uh, with How do you, people. I mean, uh, this is a notoriously low starting salary industry, at least in Chicago. I, I mean, last time I checked when I was in the job market, you know, 30 to 45, if you're lucky, maybe if you're in New York, you get 55, but it's New York. It's a low starting salary. So you're saying even negotiate that first starting salary, the best of your ability? Yeah. I mean, for one, yeah. I mean, no, no amount of negotiation is too is too small in the sense that like, if you can get an extra 500, get that 500. Your salary has so much more impact over the long term than you think it does. Yeah. Cause you think like, ah, it's temporary. I'll probably get a raise here. And the brutal reality is that you will get raises and you probably get promotions, but they will not be anywhere close to how much your salary will go up. If you move around, move around, now, negotiate up. I've been lucky that I, I've, you know, it's like, I sound like I'm some advocate of jumping around. I worked for uh, the agency I was at for eight years. I worked for Adweek for eight years now, full time. Um, 15 years total, right? Yeah. And, and I'm incredibly loyal uh, oh, to yeah. the places I've worked, but it's because they've taken care of me. I guarantee you if they hadn't, I would have been gone. Now, this is interesting because you did stay, you have stayed so long at Adweek and I'm sure you've gotten opportunities or you've been pitched to go other places or you've even thought about it, maybe doing some stuff on the side, freelance, whatever it may be. So how do you communicate that? Hey, I like Adweek. I love Adweek. I want to stay here. But in order to do that, I need better compensation or I need to get promoted or create your own role. What have you done that's been successful in that term? I mean, I think the 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 easy position I've been in is that um and, and it's awkward to talk about just because I don't want to sound like I'm bragging and and these things are all very large team efforts, but like I've created a lot of things that and and several of them have proven successful, like franchises, award programs, things that that bring in revenue. Uh, that's not why oh, I create them, uh, but it's great when they do. Oh, nice. And, you know, whether it's creating the podcast, which has now been around for for over five years, and um, you, you create those things and they do well, they bring in revenue, they bring in audiences, or they're just, you know, leadership notices. Leadership appreciates mm -hmm. that you've created things. And I think if you get the reputation as a creator, as someone who constantly says, we should be doing this. And this is, I was so obnoxious about this at my agency. I, and that's why they kept changing my title like every year. Cause I kept saying right. like, so, okay, social's great. I'm glad you've made me a social media strategist, but I think content. it's bigger than that. I think it should be digital content. So yep. like content. I, now I want you to let me build a content strategy team. And they did. Yep. <laughs> and so like, I think the hardest position to negotiate is when you're just doing your job and then going home and coming back and doing your job and you don't really propose anything big. If you propose a lot of big stuff and they keep saying no, then go somewhere else. Sure. Uh, if you're just doing your job day in and day out, um, you, you should probably take more control of your destiny. And so I, like that. I will say that's gotten me out of, or it's given me better fuel the few times I've needed to uh, in, in any of my jobs to say, uh, like, I feel like I deserve better compensation. Sure. Um, that said, like, honestly, it really hasn't come up all that much because I think if you are that proactive and they don't want to lose you, 
uh, they'll make sure that you're taken care of. Um, yeah. And then, and then your biggest responsibility becomes advocating for your teams. Like as you become a leader, as you become a manager, it becomes less about your own compensation and just right. making sure that your teams are taken care of. Yeah. Um, and I think that's, you know, that that's kind of when you've hit a, a great point in your career where you're not sweating your own income so much as making sure that everybody else gets uh, uplifted at the, at the rate yeah. they deserve. When were you, when did you start doing that? I mean, you've probably been themes in your whole career, but when were you really at a position where you said, all right, we got to, we got to look out for, the guys below. I mean, I think I, I've been in management pretty much since two years out of college. Um, wow. Good so it's, it's been about 18 years that I've, I've with a few, you know, a few years of, it was That's nice when I went podcast discussion, the management side of things, we're, we're just trying to break in, but that, that is interesting. To me. Well, and it, it hits faster than you would think. And I, my biggest complaint uh, with the industry is not one that I think anyone would expect. It's that they do not offer leadership training uh, in any sort of consistent way. Um, that's something I'm, I'm, I'm working on, like in the sense of I've, I have several like-minded friends who have also become very frustrated with that. The industry wide, we do not give people the skills, uh, and the tools that they need to become leaders. Yeah. Like we, we hire them, we promote them. We do not teach them how to manage. And some of that's the nice, fun, inspirational stuff, the Harvard business review, whatever, how to be yeah. a leader. 90% of it though, is like how to hire and fire, how to, you know, how to, uh, how to turn around a struggling employee, uh, how to, you know, the, the most challenging moments in my managerial life have been just dealing with the weird, unpredictable things that happen and being there for those staff. I've had, unfortunately had to deal with several staffers over the years who've passed away. Um, and you know, it's horrible. But your responsibility, you might think at first, like, well, I'm just their manager or whatever, but you, everyone kind of looks to you to organize, like, you know, everything, like to really be proactive about making sure that the team is taken care of, that everyone is being heard. It's so hard. It's it's one of those things where until you you can't prepare for it. I wish you could, but it would sound ghoulish if we're like, today we're going to teach you how to man how to be a manager when someone passes away. Yeah. It's like, instead, so, you just, we need mentorship. We need more people to be there for each other so that you can call them and say, listen, this just happened and I don't know what to do. Yeah. And then you need someone to be able to say, yeah, I've been through it. And yeah. here's here's the best I can offer. Um, we just need, we need more of that across where did the board. You, in your career, where did you find your mentors? I mean, were they in the same company as you or did you look at other, you know, from other companies? Where were they at? And how'd no, you find them? I, I don't think, well, sometimes, I guess. I think that the biggest trend that I've seen now, not to shift gears, I mean, I could tell you all about mine, but they, they were largely like just people I found through professional or school stuff that I okay. gravitated to. And then- sure. And then they move on somewhere else and then they hire you and bring you out there. And like, yeah. it tends to have its rewards beyond that. But now I think what's so cool is peer to peer mentoring has gotten so powerful and whether it comes in the format, like, Interesting. yeah, it's just, you know, I think there are 25 year olds looking out for other 25 year olds much better than anyone my age is looking out for them. You uh -huh. know, and it's a lot of that's happening in group chats, right? Um, I don't think it's happening in fishbowl. <laughs> like I, oh, I, no, no. I, I think like no. the, the wide open forums are, are not the place to have those. But if you're in, if you're in a group chat or if you just go make one of people that you admire, um, 
you you can be there for each other when you come to negotiate something. Because again, you can talk to someone who 20 years ago applied for their first real job in advertising yeah. and they'll tell you their advice and they'll tell you how it went. I could do that. Yeah. But it, it's bullshit in the sense that like that was 20 years ago. That was 900 lifetimes ago. Wow. Like that was, that was however many pandemics ago. Like they don't know what they're talking about. Right. What they should do is connect you with someone who just went through it a year ago or who went through yeah. it six months ago. Yep. And and so I tend to end every conversation I have with people who are looking for guidance by saying you should meet this person and this person, and this person, all of whom are probably their age or sometimes even younger. Right. Um, because I don't think we uh, we who came up in an earlier era, I, I think I think we have the 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 survivor bias of thinking that we know what we're talking about because we made it this far. Interesting. I've never heard of that, but it's, it's not true. It's like, it's, it's like the best way to think of survivor bias, by the way, is like in uh, world war two, when the planes, bomber planes would come back, uh, to, you know, from, from flying over Germany and they would say, Oh, look at all these bullet holes in the wings. Uh, we should reinforce the wings. Well, survivor bias is when you're looking at the planes that came back, like they're fine. The wings aren't the problem. It's the planes that crashed that yeah. that, that had the problems. Right. And so that's a classic example of like, you can't look just at the ones who made it and say, obviously that's the recurring uh, issue. And so like, yeah, those of us who are around right now, there's nothing about our experience that necessarily would translate to someone yeah. just starting out right now. And that was the whole goal of this podcast. I mean, I started off interviewing my close friends because it was easy and I was scared. But then I also realized it's supposed to be like, when you hear advice from somebody like one to two to maybe three years older than you, it just hits so close to home because they just did it. Yeah. And so, I mean, I think that's <laughs> for better or worse, like that's my advice to a lot of folks is I think they want me to, and I will, I mean, I'll connect people with senior level folks and there's a lot more um, desire to be a mentor out there than people realize. The problem is there's, it's just hard to find where to sign up. Like where to raise your hand. And it feels very icky to get on Twitter and be like, I would like to mentor people. Now, now, now let me also talk about the other side. Um, while a lot of people are willing to be mentors, it's hard to be a mentee. And it's hard to keep up sometimes. Not everybody's willing to be a mentee. And not everybody's willing to commit to being a mentor. It's a, it's a, it's a committed relationship that takes time and effort. Yeah. And, and I think in the end, what's more effective is to have seven people who mentor you in different aspects of your life. Right. Yes. And we all do this subconsciously. It's like, if you have a question and you pick up your phone and you're trying to decide who to ask, there is no one mentor to rule them all. That's no. going to like answer every question. No, you will instinctively be like, oh, uh, I know. Who it, I know. Who yeah. It, you know, yeah. I'm, I'm going to message this person because they've been through, um, dealing with anxiety in the workplace or they've yep. been through uh, a really toxic boss, you know, I'm going yep. to message that person. So in the end, like it's, it's self-defeating to try to find the perfect mentor. Oh, and, yeah. and again, I, like I think my, my biggest weakness as a mentor is that, is that I'm a, a, a white middle, you know, middle-aged male uh, who had like a lot of privilege coming up and, and didn't always recognize it. I, I'm, I've certainly become more aware of it in retrospect, mm -hmm. but, you know, I, I try to be very candid with both myself and with people who talk to me is like, um, I can tell you my experience. I can tell you w what I would have done, but yeah. that's not the same. More importantly, yeah. I will connect you with people who are probably having a more similar life experience. There's no one size fits all. Yeah. Your mentor. Yeah. So yeah, just don't, I think people get disappointed because they'll, they'll get connected with somebody who's like a CMO or whatever. Those people are busy 
and you're sure. not you're not going to hear a whole lot from them. Yeah. And and that's the biggest frustration I hear from mentees is my mentor is just always busy. I never get, and I'm just like, well, you kind of picked someone who's like, <laughs> yeah. who's like famously inaccessible. Um, yeah. you know, I, again, that's why I think the peer to peer stuff or finding someone who just has the heart of a mentor, but isn't necessarily out there running an agency. Yeah. And, and the other big thing of course, is don't turn a mentorship relationship into a job hunt. You know, it's, it'll, it'll happen on its own. Oh, I, yeah. I see this happen constantly. Like everyone I, what do you mean by that? What do they do? Or well, like, what's, what's an like example? The, the worst example is when you're on like your first call with a potential mentor and you're asking them if they can introduce you to the recruiter at their company or uh, if they're hiring. Yeah. That happens a lot more than you transactional. It's you can see right through. Yeah. And they're not yeah. there to learn. They're there to get a job, uh, yeah. which I get. Uh, and I respect the hustle, but it's like, uh, you know, it would, I, I won't say hurt my feelings, um, but you know what I mean? It's, it's, if someone did that to you, if you felt like this person didn't want my advice, they wanted an intro to the recruiter at my company. Um, that's fine. Just ask for an intro to the recruiter at your company. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You don't have to frame it as a mentorship conversation. Yes. Um, that's a good point. Do you think it, if people, if somebody came up to you is like, yeah, I would love an intro to the recruiter at Adweek, would you entertain it? Or would you feel like they're just using you or is that okay to do? Yeah, no, totally. I, I mean, if they were qualified, uh, yeah. then I would probably be honest. I'd probably be honest with them if I was like, well, I don't think we have any openings that, that are in the vein mm -hmm. of your background. But like if they were the least bit qualified, yeah. I mean, like everyone else, we're we're hungry for talent. Uh, yeah. and we're always we always have openings uh, and we've been growing like a weed. So like there's certainly I, I would. I, but the, you know, not too many people do that. Not too many people ask for mentorship either. I mean, there's a, an understandable reluctance to raise your hand and to put yourself out there. Uh, I tend to get it mostly through DMs, which I get. Like, I understand why that that's, it still takes, I, like, I crack up when people tell me like a year after we met through a, a DM where they were just like, hey, I've seen your tweets and I would love to get on a call with you and talk about, you know, what I'm, uh, what I'm going through. Yeah. And like, and then a year later, they're like a good friend of mine, right? We've gotten to know each other. And they're like, I was so nervous when I sent that. No, I have a funny so quote. I actually looked at your tweets recently before we got on. You said, uh, you tweeted, please don't DM me about work. I only use DMs to hype up my friends, offer career advice, tell but uh, debauch stories of my celebrity run-ins and debate attack on Titan theories. Everything else can go shiver in the icy exile of my work inbox. <laughs> Yeah, I think I think some people took that a little too literally. I got like a few apologies, and I was just like, "You're not, you're not the people who need to apologize." Uh, but, but yeah, no, it was one where I'm just like, I love getting the very boilerplate DMs that are just like, "Hello, so good to connect. I enjoy your tweets. Would you be interested in a one-hour phone call to hear about the product my company offers?" You Ooh. know, you're just like, uh, "Save it for LinkedIn, buddy." Uh -huh. um, but no, I mean, I, I, I did want to convey in there that I am always open for career advice and for helping anybody um, if I can um, yeah. and and pointing them toward uh, other people. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's you just got to you just got to reach out. And sometimes I know it's nerve wracking. And I remember I remember those times. And I, I emailed the uh, the editor of uh, Adweek uh, of uh, the creative blog, Adfreak, which mm -hmm. I, I was addicted to when I was a copywriter. and. Right. Uh, I emailed and just asked like, who writes for you guys? Like, do they work at Adweek? Are they freelancers? What's up? Who are they? Yeah. 
And he recognized me from from commenting frequently, <laughs> which yeah. these, these days would be a bad thing, but 15 years ago was probably positive. And um, he was like, yeah, it's mostly freelancers. And then uh, uh, maybe less than a year after that, he asked me if I wanted to write for them <laughs> because well, I kept commenting. Well, I actually want to talk about breaking into journalism real quick. And, and that that seems to be, I just had Tim Nutt on from Clio. He, he was, was the saying, one. He was the one who hired me. God bless oh, really? <laughs> yeah. Oh, small world. Small world. world. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, he did work. At, he told me he worked at Adweek. A very long time. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, no, he, he had a great episode. So if you haven't listened to that, listen to that after this. This but one's better. I mean, this one's got to be better. My oh. entire life has been built to, you know, one up Tim Nudd. So. Well, I'll let you know the analytics in about a month. <laughs> <laughs> and who gets more shares on LinkedIn. Um, so it's a little competition. That's good. But um, he was saying, if you interact, and you're like, because you have social listening tools, social media listening tools, I'm sure somebody on your team or, uh, or probably is probably running that. But if you interact a lot and you'll get noticed by the publication, is that true? Is that one of the stepping stones of breaking in to a specific trade publica publication? I mean, yeah, it helps. Like what's funny is I would say, well, that was true for me 15 years ago because that's definitely how I got into Adweek is just by frequently commenting and sending them yeah. story well, ideas. You mentioned Julian Gamboa, right? Did something mm -hmm. similar to this? Oh God, yeah. He he stalked me for a year um, <laughs> and, and it was great. Like I loved his energy and his positivity and sure enough, I blinked and he was working at Adweek and I was just like, yeah. how'd you get here? <laughs> and he's doing well. He's doing <laughs> he's really just, well. Yeah, you turn around, he's just standing there. Yeah, now he's working for Ryan Reynolds. Wow. Um, the... Uh, but like, so 15 years ago, that was true. I'd say, I'd say then it wasn't true for a long time. And now it's okay. back to being true because of things like, uh, I mean, we have a weekly chat on Wednesdays called Adweek chat. And I think that certainly gets you on the radar of, of Adweek editors and writers. Cause we yeah. participate in it and we watch yeah. it. Um, but, but yeah, I think we like, it's, it's, it sounds weird to say we love certain people, but it's, it is one of those things where several of us will be sitting around and be like, Hey, have you noticed this person's tweets? Like that person's like really sharp. And, and yeah. we'll all just kind of be like, yeah, I really like that person. Um, and so it, it definitely gets you in the mix. And we've certainly reached out to several people that we met through Twitter, through engaging with Adweek and are obviously, cause what we love is seeing someone who's passionate about the topics we cover. Like you, you don't end up working at a place like Adweek if you don't care about the things that we write about. Mm -hmm. Um, and if you did, I mean, it would be a really sad job. It's like, I don't like writing about ads, man. I love writing about ads. Yeah. And, uh, so you know, I, I think finding people who share those passions, uh, in mostly in Twitter, I'm sure it happens elsewhere, but that's probably the best place. Yeah. Um, and then, uh, you know, yeah, I, I, I'm trying to think if that applies to anywhere else, really just Twitter. Um, so if you're not using Twitter, you probably should, uh, if, if that's a goal, I think, I think in terms of getting a job, Twitter's kind of unbeatable. Oh, it's great for copywriters too, that are looking to break in. Fantastic. Um, Maddie get good was on and she talked about that. Um, yeah. Twitter was was her main I'm tool. Sure, I'm, I'm sure so that's how I discovered Maddie. Uh, yeah. that's it's like if you're good at Twitter, you know, you're a good writer. Yeah. It <laughs> makes the, sense. the end. Like you True. can't there's no you can't selfie your way into it. You can't like no, um, no thirst traps. You yeah, and it, it's just like I have a deep admiration for anyone who's great at TikTok and who's great at, at even oh. even LinkedIn, but like to me Twitter is the real uh 
you know, the, the, it's the real test of yeah. like, can you consistently be interesting? The, the Thunderdome. Yeah. Through your own, through your own words and through yeah. your own ideas and, and be original and you're yeah. kind of half curator, half creator. And yeah. so if, if someone's great on Twitter, it's rare that they're not pretty interesting in real life. Oh yeah. No. Yeah. It makes sense. Journalism. It's big for journalists, aspiring journalists, it's big for copywriters. It's really it's a great space and you'll find your, your niche when you're, when you're there, you follow you, of course, what's your at again. Oh, just Griner, G-R-I-N-E-R yeah. on Twitter. Yeah. And then you'll follow who, whoever you like, I'm sure it'll come up in the feed and you'll be in ad Twitter in no time. Yeah. It, it happens fast. You get like, yeah, it's just, awesome. you know, when in doubt, if you find someone you like that you think is interesting and you're, you're either new to Twitter or you new to using it for work purposes and networking, just see who they're talking to. Yep. Because as, as you and I both know, it's, you know, and probably you could list every person you've had on this show and chances are I've gotten to know them through social media um, because they, they rise to the surface very quickly. It doesn't, it isn't that hard uh, to, to not just get on the, on the radar of people like myself, of journalists, but more importantly of major hiring managers. Mm -hmm. And what's interesting is recruiters aren't really on Twitter. Um, in any sort of organized way, but they love to reach out to people like me and just be like, who's interesting? Yeah. <laughs> like, who should I be recruiting? Because yeah. they just don't have time to be on there sure. as much as. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so well, they're on LinkedIn. They're, they're, they're for sure on LinkedIn. Yeah. 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 Well, great. Is there any last pieces of advice that you might have thought about earlier today that you wanted to get out to the people that you were thinking about? Any, any last words? <sighs> I mean, there's, there's so much. I, I think just don't, underestimate the the value of being open in social media about what you need and mm -hmm. what you want uh, and what you have to share. Like people think it's, and it, it does feel weird to say, to reintroduce yourself in social media or to say, Hey, I'm looking for a job to do this. Like if you're looking for work, just put it out there and put out, you know, I could say like manifest it, yeah. but like the reality is just putting it out there It'll get shared. It'll Look go a long the, way. The Twitter, the Twitter campaign that's going on right yeah. now. Yeah. About like kind of manifesting your dreams five years yeah. before being a, a superstar. And I think the biggest, I, I tell people that all the time is just put it out there. Like what you're looking mm -hmm. for, what you have to share. And it doesn't have to be like, I'm looking for a job to do this. It can literally be like, I'm looking to connect with more copywriters. I'm looking yep. to, uh, to learn how to become a creative director. Um, so if anyone has any thoughts or if you went through that path, I would love to connect with you. Just put it out there. No one's yeah. going to think it's weird. No one's going to make fun of you. It does feel awkward to be that almost vulnerable. Yeah. Um, and There's on the other side, admirable about that. And on the other side of the coin, if you're relatively far along in your career, I think you should <laughs> take the same approach to being open about what you have to share. And, yeah. and just be honest about, I would like to help more people navigate this problem that I dealt with. Um, I, I wish more people who worked their way through the just bizarre, uh, visa work visa system to work in America. I wish more of them would, would make the time. I don't blame them for not doing this because they get over here and they get a, a job where it keeps them busy. But like, I wish they would spend more time, like talking about how you get from how you get it, how you pull yeah. it off. Cause it's, it's so process. complicated. Such and a just, and I don't mean like I'm saying like they should be, you know, immigrants should be out doing more work. It's just more like anyone who's been through a tough road and you've made it out the other side. It's very tempting to just enjoy it 
and just be quiet and just coast. Um, and I think the, the, the burden is on all of us to, to share what we've learned and help as many people as, as we possibly can. Yeah, absolutely. I love it. Well, mentorship, that's a common theme in your career in this episode. And hopefully we can do that with the breaking entering podcast. So how can people reach out to you again? Griner on, on Twitter and you have, I'll put your email in if that's okay. Any other ways that you prefer to people to reach out, for, reach out? Um, to I'm easy to find just about everybody, everywhere. Um, yeah, you're welcome Google to them. add me on LinkedIn or whatever. It's, uh, you know, I'd say I mostly live on Twitter, but um, yep. I try to be active a little of everywhere. I haven't made a TikTok in like a year. I, I need to get back into TikTok. Yeah, me too. We got to make a TikTok for this podcast. But great. Thank you so much. This has been an amazing episode as I thought. I knew it would, I knew it would be. So I'm so glad that you you came on and took the time. I know you're hey, super busy. No, thanks so much for having me on. I loved it. Awesome. All right. Well, have a good one. We will be in touch. Did you hear anything on this episode about a job you'd like to have someday soon in advertising, strategy, design? The kind of job where you use your brain and your creativity? If you did, chances are a portfolio can really help you get that job. That's where Chicago Portfolio School comes in. They have programs and classes that help you show off your thinking and get you the job you want. So visit them at chicagoportfolio.com. And if you drop my name, Gino, into the chat box, they'll send you more info and a cool Sharpie or just some more info. You can decide that. Thanks. Thank you so much for listening to this entire episode of the Breaking and Entering Advertising Podcast. If you liked what you listened to today and you like the guests, please go ahead and connect with them. Easiest way to find their contact information and to see those resources that they recommended for you is to go to our Instagram at Breaking and Entering Pod, all one word. And for some quick thank yous for making this show possible, the first one is the company Sure. It's a microphone company, S-H-U-R-E. They provided the microphone that you're listening to right now. It's the MV7. It's great for podcasting and other forms of content. So if you're interested in starting a podcast or you're looking for equipment, talk, talk with me. I really recommend the Sure MV7. Happy to give you details on that. And I would also like to thank my two guys, Mikey Malarkey, who's our audio engineer, does it every week. He's the let's kick it in the beginning. Thank you to Mikey. And, of course, thank you to Buchan Zhang, our creative director. Buchan is responsible for amazing visuals on our Instagram, so thank you, Buchan. And thank you all once more for listening. We will see you next week.